ציטין דף נ"ח עמוד א', A culture of depravity, nitchatan gazar dinam. On Monday, Melanie Phillips wrote a piece called uh, A Culture of Depravity. And she was talking about England particularly, but it applies in the United States and, and, and even here at times, it applies all, all over. What is a culture of depravity? In what way is that different from a culture of immorality? And what should our response be if we're living in a culture of depravity? And that's the, the topic of, of today's piece of Gomorrah. How to, how to know what a culture of depravity is and how, and, and how we need to respond if we learn the Gomorrah carefully as, uh, and understand the matmon, the, the hidden treasure that lies, lies inside the, the piece of Gomorrah and very appropriate once again for the period, the three weeks in which we find ourselves. So Rav Yehuda is saying over a shir in Tanakh that was given by Rav. And again, it's just so amazing when we learn Gomorrah and we realize Uh, that Rav and Shmuel were Talmidim of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. So we're going back to the end of the period of the Mishnah. Rav and Shmuel bridge the period of the Mishnah and the period of the Gemara. Of the Gemara. Rav and Shmuel go to Israel to learn with Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, and then they go back to, to Bavel. In Bavel, Rav becomes the Rosh Yeshiva, the founder and Rosh Yeshiva of Pumpedita, the great Yeshiva, which generates a whole lot of the Gemara that we have today. That's who Rav is. Um, and Rav as a Talmid, uh, sorry, Rav Yehuda becomes the Uh, the head, the founder and the head of, of Pumpedita. And, and here we have Rav Yehuda saying over a shir in Tanakh that Rav gave. We have the privilege of being able to listen in to Rav's Tanakh shir. And he was teaching Micha. He was teaching the Novi of, of Micha, who prophesied mainly about, about the, the business ethics, about the way people... mistreated each other financially and, and commercially uh, at a time when, it, when Yisrael was going through a difficult time in the 8th century BCE, the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. And in the beginning of the second Perik, the prophet Micha says, Hoi says, you, you wicked people who lie in your beds at night plotting the evil of the next day. That's even worse than just waking up in the day, going out in the street, seeing an opportunity and taking the opportunity. To lie at night and instead of relaxing and resting, your mind is busy going on how you can steal and thieve and, and cheat people the next day. That's so terrible. But Oraboker, as soon as it gets light, Yasua, you, you enact it, you run off to do these things. Why? Because you can. Because you have the capacity to. Because the Metsudah says, Because we were living in a society where nobody would stop you. Let and let live. People used to leave each other to do their things. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. And, and they could get away with doing things that were corrupt and evil. And they, they desired fields of others and stole them. And homes. And they robbed the homes. And they oppressed a man and his home. And a man and his inheritance. Once again, because there was no justice in that, in that time. Says the Metsudas and nobody, nobody stopping them. And Rav Yehuda says in the name of Rav, a different angle in the, in the Posuk. And he relates the Posuk to a Maiseshaya, to an actual case study. And he de- describes the case study that took place that reflects what Micha was talking about. Terrible case. What happened? 
What does this posuk mean? Maise, there was a case. Adam had with a certain man, Shenatan Einav Be'eshet Rabo, who took a fancy to his master's wife. Now, his master, Rashi, goes out of his way to say, not his rabbi in Torah, he was a, a rabbi in trade. He was he, he was men, he was mentoring this man. He was a, this was a, this man was an apprentice with a master craftsman, a carpenter. And the the master carpenter had a very attractive wife. And the the mentee, the the the, the person who was studying with him, took a fancy to the wife. Vashulia Denagriava. He was the student of a carpenter. One day, says the Gemara, the, the, the teacher needed to borrow money. Says the, the, the uh, apprentice, send your wife over to my house and I'll give her the money. I'll, I'll lend you the money. It's not a problem. He sends her over the, the, his wife and he keeps her locked up in his house for three days. Early in the morning on the third day, he comes, what's happened to my wife? My wife came to borrow some money. What's happened? Says the, the, the apprentice, what do you mean what happened? I sent her home three days ago. I gave her the money and I sent her home. But I heard that on the way home she stops off at some bars and she was having a good time with some young boys there. Uh, so I heard that she was not exactly rushing home. Amalomaya said, he said, what should I do? So you see, he's not his Rebbe in Torah. He's asking the Talmud, what should I do? It is not very bright. That's why Rashi says this is not a... A rabbi in Torah is not his master in Torah. This is just he's a carpenter. If you want to listen to my opinion, Girsha, get rid of her, divorce her. He says, you know, I've, I gave her a very big kisuba. If I get, I can't afford to divorce her. So he says, I'll, I'll lend you the money for the kisuba. Don't worry. You need to better you get rid of her, and I'll lend you the money. So he divorced her. So the apprentice marries her. When the time came to pay the ksuba, he didn't have, have the, not only didn't have the money, but when the time came to repay the apprentice, he didn't have money to repay the apprentice. Of course not, he's a carpenter. And he paid a whole lot of money out to his ex-wife, who's now married to the apprentice. And now he's got no money. The apprentice comes and says, can I have my money back? He doesn't have the money. Amalo, he says to him, this is the evil. Come and work for me. And work your debt off. Come and work for me. Vehem hayu yoshvim. Listen to this terrible story. Vehem hayu yoshvim veochlim veshotim. And they sat there eating and drinking and partying. Vehu hayao meidu mashkealehem. And he was the server. He was the waiter. Here's this man serving his ex-wife with her boyfriend, now husband, that he was tricked into divorcing so that this apprentice who he was training is now married to, and he's got to stand there. He's got no choice because he's got no money, and he's got to serve these two people. And tears would drop from his eyes as he served them. And his tears fell into the glasses of wine that he was serving to them, and they drank up his tears. And that's when this end of that society was decreed. That was the end of that society, says Micha, says Rav Yehuda Amarav, and that's what the posuk means. And some say, there was one candle with two wicks. And we'll see, Rashi says that means, 
he was he was living with a with a, in an improper way. He wasn't allowed to be married to her. If he had had an affair with her before, and now she gets divorced, she's got to be she's forbidden to both her, her lover and her and her ex husband, and and he's married. It's a shadish. It's not good. So it seems to be like two versions. There's a beautiful marshal. We've talked about the fact that the marshal is, is important. When you're understanding regular Gomorrah, important to understand the toast was very difficult to learn the Marashor, but very important. But when it comes to Agadita, when it comes to the Midrashic parts of the Gomorrah, Marashor is like the Rashi. You've got to learn it with the, with the Marashor. And the Marashor shows how this is read, how Rav Yehuda, in the name of Rav, reads this case study into the words of the Posuk. How it, it talks about Po'el. Um, it, it uses the word Po'el, Po'alei Ra, because he was a worker. Uh, for his for his master for the the person who was teaching him, um, he had the power because he lent him the money. Uh, it talks about Hagever, the the man who was the teacher, and it talks about Beitor, about the home, and the home is the wife. Uh, it says Nesaa instead of as the posuk says, or Haboker Yaasuak Yeshlem Yadam that they, um, they're able to do it, and the, the idea of do it, and they take the houses. But nasau also is from nisuim, which means marriage. So Rav Yehuda, Rav, when, when Rav hears this story, what comes to Rav's mind are these two verses from Micha. And he links the two together and he says, that's the depravity that Micha was talking about, which sealed the end of that society. And then he goes on and he says that, that says the Marashor, there were two versions. According to the first version, according to the first version, that that's what the, the, the end of the society was decreed about, he didn't do anything with her during those three days. He just locked her up. She was an Eshetish, she was married. That Eshetish comes into the second version. The second version holds that he had a relationship with her while he locked her up, and she was still married to the first one. But according to the first version, that didn't happen. And, and that's why she could, he could marry her afterwards. Uh, so, what, so what was wrong? If, according to that first version, again, the second version says two wicks with one candle. Says Rashi, that's Eshetish, which implies he had a relationship with her. But according to the first version, then, he didn't have a relationship with her. Okay, so this whole story is ter- not, not very nice at all. But is that a reason to terminate society? What did he do that was so wrong? Where does it say in Shulchan Aruch that you can't do what he did? There's a beautiful piece of, of, of Maharal as well, which we won't have time to go to in, in detail. But he talks about how this was why is this depravity? Because it's not just doing wrong. It's acting in a way that is against nature. When humans act in unnatural ways, that's much worse than doing an Aveiro. And that's our problem when homosexuality becomes rampant. I'm not talking about an odd case of an individual who's born with strange tendencies and is in a tragic situation. When a whole society starts adopting it as a norm, it's unnatural. And when a society becomes unnatural in its norms, it's depraved, says the, says the, the, the Maharal. It's very obvious when this happens, when there's a, a, a behavior that is against nature. And that's why that was the end, that Hashem had, had a decree, but he never implemented the decree. 
But when human beings start behaving in ways that are unnatural for humans, then Hashem lets go of the decree. He signs it and he executes on the decree. But the, the Yaivetz says something amazing. The Yaivetz of Yaakov Emden, the son of the Chacham Tzvi, 17th century, and uh, the Yaivetz's notes, the Yaivetz, very interesting personality, very uh, involved in a lot of controversy, uh, picked a lot of fights with a lot of people. Uh, but his notes on these Gemara, on the sides of his Gemara, are published in every Vilna Shas, the Hagos Yaivetz. And the Yaivetz says, Mikan nir e barur, there are averot, there are actions, there are sins that are not written anywhere in Shulchan Aruch. Don't think that if it's not written in Shulchan Aruch, it's okay. And that for everything that's wrong, I've got to check Shulchan Aruch. There are some things that are so wrong that the Shulchan Aruch doesn't even need to state them. It's terribly severe, those things. And it's more hateful to Hashem than the worst of Averot. Listen to this. We occupy ourselves with the Averot and what the Shulchan Aruch says, and of course it's incredibly important. But there are things that are worse than transgressing Isurim Doraisa. There's something that's worse than transgressing laws of the Torah. And that's to transgress things that aren't written anywhere. And Lahanish Harabim the Public, the whole society gets published. Because they've lost sensitivity to what the Maharal says is unnatural. If we've lost our sensitivity to unnatural behavior and that becomes the norm, that's worse than any Avera that's written in the Torah. It doesn't have to be written in the Torah. It's against common sense and common decency. That's what depravity is. Breaking Shabbos is not depravity. A man having an affair with a, with, a, with a woman he falls in love with, not depravity, it's immoral, it's not depravity. But when society starts acting in ways that are against nature, this case of this man having to serve the couple who had cheated him out of his wife, that's depravity. That he had to stand there knowing that they were sleeping together. What does that do to a man? That's depravity. And most of all, what's important most of all is even though this was done in public, nobody stopped it. Nobody objected it. Says the Yaivet Zot La'avon, because people were saying, where does it say in Shulchan Aruch? Anything's wrong? He divorced her. The first man was married to her. He divorced her. The second man married her. The first man had no money. The second man lent him the money. He couldn't repay. He gave him a job. Where does it say in Shulchan Aruch that you can't do this? Says the Yaivetz and the, and the Maral and the Mashal, it doesn't say in Shulchan Aruch you can't do it because it doesn't need to say in Shulchan Aruch you can't do it. Every common, decent human being should know that this is a terrible thing to do. And the reason I bring this and emphasize and the reason that these Gomorrahs are so important and the reason I spoke the other day about the, what hope means and hope doesn't mean that everything will be okay because when you learn a piece of Gomorrah like this and you read, and you read Melanie Phillips' article on a culture of depravity, you realize we are there. That's where our society is. We have become a culture of depravity and it becomes normal. I remember the day I realized that we have to leave Los Angeles. 
There was nothing was driving us out. We were very happy there. Baruch Hashem had a wonderful life there. There was no reason to come to Israel, particularly there was no reason to leave the United States. I remember the moment when I knew I had to leave at least Los Angeles. And we started looking first at other places in America. When I realized that the billboards that litter the streets of Los Angeles no longer felt to me as depraved as they used to feel to me. And I realized the depravity is now getting to me. If that doesn't feel depraved, immoral, yes. Bad, yes. You don't want to look at it, yes. But they didn't feel depraved anymore. They were depicting depraved scenes. And it wasn't making me feel that that was, that that was what it was. And I realized this is, this is time to go. And we're living in a society. So what do we have to do when we're living in a society like that? <laughs> Firstly, we've got to learn from what's happening at the moment with the protesters. Look what one can do in protest. When was there ever a protest against depravity? Yeah, sometimes the Frum people will protest against Chilul Shabbos. That's not what we're talking about. Because they're protesting for people who don't have a feeling for Shabbos. So what's the purpose of the protests? But depravity, everybody has a feeling for that. Why aren't we in protest? Why aren't we occupying the, sp the squares in protest against depravity? Why are we just accepting it? It's in the newspapers, it's on the television, it's in the movies, it's on the billboards, it's in the schools, the kids are being taught. And we kind of carry on with our life. Because lo ayu choshvin zot la'avon, it's not written in Shulchan Aruch, so we kind of mind our own business and we let it pass. But then we become part of it. So the first thing we have to do is we try and, try and protest. And if we can't protest in a public way, at least protest in our own way so that it never becomes something acceptable to us. In our own families, in our own communities, in our own schools, in our own shuls, to make sure that depravity is clearly demarcated and clearly labeled, and we call it that. We don't call it tolerance and let each people do what... There's a boundary line. There's a point at which tolerance starts allowing depravity. Tolerance for immorality? Okay. Tolerance for breaking the Torah? Okay. But tolerance for depravity means we're creating a society for which, God forbid, nechtam gzar dinam. There would have to be the, the end of that society that marks the end of that, of that society. And we've seen it over and over again from Roman times and Greek times and, and, and much more modern times when societies become depraved, it's the end of their golden era. And, and that seems to be a period that we're li living in, unless it turns around, where it's the end of the golden era of the Western world. And it's part of what the Chinese object to, is the exporting of a depraved culture through the media into Chinese culture. It's what a lot of the Muslim world is upset about with the Western world. The exporting of depraved culture into their world. Uh, and, and if that's what the West becomes, a culture of depravity, we've got to prepare ourselves for the destruction of that culture and for its replacement, as we said the other day, in the destruction is the seed and the rebirth of what will come thereafter.